Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Uber's big speed bump on the way to IPO and President Trump's very challenging electoral map for 2020. But first, how Silicon Valley handles sexual harassment. So earlier this month, thousands of Google employees walked out of work in protest of the company's gross mishandling of sexual harassment and assault claims, including a couple situations where the company paid male executives millions of dollars to quietly walk away. Now, one of the biggest complaints of those walking out was around forced arbitration, a policy whereby Google employees claiming workplace harassment are unable to pursue their cases in court. Instead, the claims get decided in private, by an arbiter. No judge, no jury, no appeal, no right to ever sue. And that also goes for class action lawsuits. Now, it's a system designed to protect companies, but it's also one that has clearly hurt way too many employees. So following the walkout, Google changed course. And within days, so did companies like Airbnb, Facebook, eBay, and Square. And there are some big tech companies like Amazon and Salesforce that never had such a policy. But far too many, including big names like Netflix and Tesla and Slack, continue to employ it. So the bottom line here is there have been concerns about how the Me Too movement has been successful in rooting out some very famous bad actors, but not so much when it comes to more prevalent sexual harassment claims by men who aren't household names. Making big policy decisions like ending forced arbitration is an important step toward that more inclusive goal. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Axios chief tech correspondent Ina Freed. But first, this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique Smart Brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Ina Freed, Axios' chief technology correspondent. So, Ina, let's talk here a little bit. Getting rid of forced arbitration is a positive, right? Or do you disagree? No, I think it's always good. Uh, whenever you see forced arbitration going away, that's generally a good thing. Uh, arbitration has its uses, settling personal disputes and stuff. It's less costly. There's a bunch of advantages. But forced arbitration is almost never a good thing in any context, whether it's your doctor or credit card company making you agree to it or your employer. Because the reason companies and employers and big business like arbitration is they almost always win. They do. And so I'm wondering, you have the Google walkout and Google ends force arbitration. So from your perspective, the folks who left, those tens of thousands of people who went out on the street that day, did they ultimately get what they want? They got some of what they want. It's a start. I think you have to look both at their specific goals. I think they got like two out of the five, but also just the broader message. Can employees change conditions at their workforce? They got some. I mean, they showed one, they can have a lot of people and two, that they can achieve some change. So I think those are both strong positives, but they also didn't get everything they wanted and probably won't. They wanted an employee on the board, which they're not going to get unless you define employee really broadly, in which case they already have that because some of the people on the board work for Alphabet. They obviously want non-executive employees, right? Yeah. Right. And that's, I would think, very unlikely to happen. You know, companies don't change the composition of their board. This isn't, you know, student council. That's not the way it works. You know, what they really want is a change in the culture. What they really want is for the female employees to not be harassed in the first place, to be equally represented in the workforce. Those are the overarching goals, and those are long-term goals. So I think if you ask them, if you ask anyone, 
it's a start, but it's not everything. One of the things they also wanted was the right to still have collective action, and they can't, right? They, they still have to be one-on-one. I don't think they're allowed to do class action lawsuits still, correct? I think that was something they wanted, and, and Sundar, the CEO, said no, or he actually didn't say no. He just kind of ignored it and moved on. Yeah, that wasn't, you know, one of the five major goals, but I think that's something that employees want, and that's no company is going to say, yes, you can do that. That doesn't mean you can't bring one of those actions. It's just got a higher barrier to actually being accepted. Other companies follow suit, but there's still some big tech companies, Tesla, Netflix, Slack, which as of last check, aren't responding to media inquiries on this, which suggests they're still doing forced arbitration. Is this just a train that is ultimately going to run and every company will eventually fall into line? I think it's pretty likely. We saw several big companies follow Google and Alphabet's move, and I think it becomes one of these things. Do you really want to be the company trying to recruit women at a time when it's already tough? Do you really want to be the company that still has forced arbitration? Like It seems like the kind of thing that probably companies aren't going to want to be tarred with, and we'll see them use this as an opportunity to quietly do it, even if they don't noisily do it now. You know, you mentioned at the beginning that this is a procedural change, right? So, and, and there's value in having a procedural change, but but it's part of a much broader, you know, basically women don't want to be harassed in the workplace. And and that is, is obviously a much bigger, broader, harder goal to achieve. Do you get any sense, and I know this is anecdotal, but when you talk with people who work at big Silicon Valley tech companies, do you get a sense that there has been any, call it on the ground change over the last year over how people feel the culture of these workplaces is? I think there has. And I think where it has is there's a much higher awareness among the male, predominantly male bosses, that this is a big issue, not just that they have to be careful of their own behavior, but also they need to have a different standard. And I I do think that has changed. I think where we'll take longer is, does every woman, do most women feel free from harassment in their workplace? Probably not, and that's going to take longer. But I do think companies get they can't do business the way they were a couple of years ago. We've seen a lot of Me Too-related fallout, sexual harassment, sexual assault, both companies and their employees speaking out, but also companies taking action. While I've got you, I want to just quickly touch on a totally other topic, but there was a huge story that that broke overnight in the New York Times relating to Facebook and how Facebook has, uh, let's say, handled the criticism um, when it comes to everything from the the Russia stuff and the fake news, etc. What was your biggest takeaway from this expose? You know, I think it just cast a very unfortunate and unflattering light on both Sheryl Sandberg and Mark Zuckerberg and the way that they handled this. There's no question Facebook had lots of problems. I think in the past, they've really tried to characterize it as we were caught flat-footed, we didn't know, we've learned a lot. But this paints it really clear that they were also actively trying to deflect, deny, I believe that's the headline, deflect, deny, and there's one more, really get away from the problems versus addressing them head on. And I think it's good for Mark Zuckerberg that he has voting control of the company, because if this were another company, people would be. And, you know, there's a good story from Rico saying, who's going to get fired over all of this? Nobody, it seems. And you mentioned that it put Cheryl in on a flattering light. You know, she apparently hired this this kind of GOP opposition research firm to put stuff out. And then you have some weird petty stuff by Zuckerberg. Like when Tim Cook criticized Facebook publicly, he told his senior executive, stop using iPhones, which seems to be just this tiny little just nitty. I don't know, it, it, not the sort of thing you'd expect from the leader of, of one of the largest companies in the world. Yeah, I mean, it's a reminder that these companies are led by individuals who are capable of being every bit as frustratable and petty as all of us. But yeah, you expect more and it's neither Cheryl nor Mark looks good in this piece at all. And again, I think in any other company where you had an independent ownership, hard to 
conceive of a company where everyone survives other than a company where voting control is so tightly held by the top executives. Ina Freed, Chief Technology Correspondent of Axios. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. My final two right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Uber, which really, really wants to go public next year. The only trouble is it also wants to get closer to profitability before going public, and it seems to be moving in the wrong direction. So the ride hail giant yesterday said its third quarter loss was more than $1 billion, which is an increase from the second quarter. Now, Uber prefers a financial metric it calls adjusted EBITDA, which shows an improvement between quarters, but also a deterioration year over year. So the bottom line here, Uber still has time to stem its red tide and do an IPO next year but it's beginning to cut it very close. And finally, my colleague Mike Allen today led his AM newsletter with an item about how President Trump is now facing a re-election map in 2020, unlike any seen by a Republican in at least the past 40 years. It's basically a two-front war. Not only does he need to compete for those Midwestern states like Wisconsin and Michigan that effectively gave him the White House in 2016, but also some Southern and Southeastern states like Texas and Georgia, which had previously been safely Republican. In other words, purple is creeping up all over the place, and it's unclear exactly what territory he plans to fight on. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, have a great national clean out your refrigerator day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata podcast.